0: Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show number 48. This interview is with Brian Solis, author of Engage, The End of Business as Usual, as well as the marvelous Conversation Prism, which is now in its third version. In this podcast, recorded in Paris ahead of a conference I was hosting with Brian, we discuss a wide range of topics, including his upcoming book, WTF, or What's the Future, some of the biggest challenges for businesses who are facing the inescapable digital transformation as well as what leaders should be take away from the jobs biography. Anyway, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Minta Dialogue show. Today I have a super special guest, uh, someone who I've been tracking for a very long time and I've had the pleasure to get to know over the last, uh, let's say, two years. Someone who is... Uh, completely, one, an inspiration for me, Too knowledgeable about everything that I try and do, which is um, things about digital and transformation. So, tell us who you are, and as Mitch Joel says, what you do.
1: <laughs> well, my name is Brian Solis, and uh, I am an author and an analyst. I study disruptive technology and its impact on business and society, and then I attempt to reverse engineer that to help businesses adapt uh, and evolve uh, with the changing times.
0: All right. So how, how exactly
1: do you manage to accompany companies in that transformation? Well, one of the reasons I'm in research uh, is that I, I sort of came up as a marketer. I, 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 I wanted to challenge the marketing industry. I, I noticed that things were getting far more digital. Uh, back in the 90s, I saw the rise of message boards and forums. And I actually believed that at some point in the near future, that it was going to re- require direct-to-consumer, direct-to-customer engagement. So that as we, you know, classically marketed before was no longer going to work because people actually just needed insight, direction, information, not marketing speak, hyperbole, uh, you know, sensationalism or or not that that goes away. It's just that there needed to become a new form of, of engagement. And in the early years, uh, I-, I was studying what this direct form of engagement would look like, how you develop new business models around it, what, th- what the-, the tangible artifacts would look like in terms of engagement, and wrote several books uh, in, the- in the 2000s uh, about about this subject. And I noticed that in every single case, all of this innovation was sort of relegated to certain departments, marketing, public relations, corporate communications, advertising, and it would not leave that area. Uh, unless there was some type of need, and that need was mostly driven by curiosity or, or, or buzz because social media was rising or new tools and technologies and new social networks were rising. And in every one of those cases, it was all silo driven. And so none of this was making its way to the top. And so, when you would study how these departments were using this new technologies, they were using it uh, these new new channels with the old guys of marketing. You know, broadcast. You know, even if they used words like transparent or authentic, just it just wasn't. They got the buzzwords, but they weren't believing. <laughs> Absolutely, and what I realized at the heart of that was that there was not a top-down edict to say we actually need to change how we engage our market. We need to approach the market differently. We need to feel what the market is feeling in order to, to lead it. And that was because executives were absolutely disconnected from all of these trends because they lived in silos and most of these executives don't even use these networks or these technologies. They have people read their emails for them. So I dedicated my life then to research to get the numbers, to get the trends, to make sense out of it in order to make a business case.
0: Well, And to then be able to convince these bosses who are programmed to think that way. Because the challenge is that intellectually, they kind of see it, they read about it. But getting in and, and making them actually get it.
1: Right. If there's a difference between going into a, a C-suite and saying, you know, everybody's getting on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, and therefore we should... And the first answer they're going to say is why... And you have to have an answer for that. And, and, and first of all, you should never start a conversation with those social networks. The, the numbers do not lie. And the, the intelligent analysis of those numbers to make a business case is what we all need to start thinking about in order to, to, to not just get support but actually do the right thing in terms of leading the business into a new era of engagement. So the long story short is that you were you hit it right on the head. I, I moved from marketing into research and analysis in order to make these business cases. And over the years, I had learned, one, how to get executive support, but two how to change a management culture into a leadership culture. Because once they get it, they really get it. And the right people in the right positions will want to lead the charge rather than just react and react and react.
0: Well, I want to get back to that in a moment. But when, when you wrote um, The End of Business as Usual, you, 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 you identify all these cases and, and these companies that were great and have disappeared. And when you're going in to uh, meet C-suite people... I'm going to still believe that there are plenty that say, well, yeah, that happened to them, but it won't happen to me. How do you uh, view that, and how do you overcome that? What What is it that makes us say, oh, oh, my God,
1: actually, whoa, I'm in worry? Well, <laughs> I, what you're talking about is referred to as digital Darwinism. It's this idea that technology and society are evolving, and at some point – if we don't do anything about it, they evolve faster than us and to the point where we're either uh, going to adapt or die. And many businesses are dying because they become irrelevant. Uh, Many businesses also are dying because they sort of fail to compete for the future. They just sort of compete for the moment. And we see a lot of big brands doing that today and they're just becoming, uh, the only word is irrelevant. Well, they're
0: feeding the quarterly number, right? but they're not getting, they're not getting the real evolution that needs to happen, if not revolution, that's going to be the transformation for the future.
1: Yeah, because they, they're just, they're not rewarded to think that way, right? And, and even if they fail, they, and this is an unfortunate part of the economy, but even failing executives are still rewarded somehow to leave, you know, they're paid handsomely to just go away. But without thinking about what the future looks like, what the future of engagement looks like, or even a new, a renewed vision of what could be possible, it's hard to lead a company in any direction, so the problem is uh, that uh, businesses believe that if they embrace technology, therefore they're innovative, and therefore they're now competing for the future, and they're more modernized. But the reality is is that, again, without that vision, without that leadership, uh, innovation makes no sense at all. And I'll give you a quick example. A lot of businesses will talk about the idea of, uh, of, of disrupt- uh, disruption, technology. You know, people will refer to, yeah, the, the, certainly a number of books uh, about disruption. Uh, d- of course, the, one of the most famous one is the Innovator's Dilemma. Uh, these are these are strong messages that executives need to hear. But the the reality is is that you can invest in technology and innovation all you want. That still is run in its own silo. There is no culture within the organization, no process, no infrastructure within the organization to take those great ideas and permeate the DNA of the, the company as it exists. Right, and that's why I say that you know when we look at the classical four piece of marketing, the two that have been missing and that are going to drive the future of, of business evolution are people and purpose.
0: So your uh, end of the business, uh, great book, highly recommend it. You got a new one coming up. Tell us about it.
1: <laughs> well, the the thing about the end of business, as usual, as my uh, as my publisher would say, is well, you just killed business. Now, now, what are we going to do with it? So uh, I came up with a book called "What's the Future of Business?" WTF? WTF? Uh, and it was it's a play a play on words of sorts, but it's so true because I often leave so many meetings. <laughs> What's the future? <laughs> WTF? And. Uh, th- The book actually attempts to pick up where the end of business, as usual, uh, left off, and it's also a bridge between my next, next book that talks about the idea of experience architecture. To do that, uh, I wanted to distill behavior into common language that marketers and service professionals are very comfortable with, uh, and those are the moments of truth. These are these are uh, th- this is lingo that had, you know, Procter and Gamble had made famous. Uh, Google renewed the fervor of these conversations uh, with the zero moment of truth right. that they introduced. And what's the future of business? Uh, you know, it was, if the zero moment of truth is one bookend, uh, then you have the first and the second moments of truth. They're sort of like the middle of the road, the activity, the action, what happens after the purchase. Then the the other bookend is what I refer to in the book as the ultimate moment of truth, and it's uh, when you get home or you get back to the office and you use a technology, you use a product, you use a service, you have a feeling, which is covered in the second moment of truth. That's the experience that you have. The ultimate moment of truth is what do you do with that experience? And today's consumers and and just customers in general are more and more taking to social networks uh, or to blogs or to what have you, and they're sharing these experiences over and over and over again. And sometimes they deter your future customers from making decisions in your favor, and sometimes they encourage your future customers.
0: Would it be fair to say that in this ultimate moment of truth, when someone's talking about with passion and, and positiveness, the actual talking about it is giving back to them So they're not only talking about, I like this product, it's a great champagne that we're drinking. The very moment of talking about it is giving back to me energy. And so when they incarnate, they are really living that purpose that the brand is supposed to be providing.
1: Absolutely. So what I say in the book is that the ultimate moment of truth is the next person's zero moment of truth. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, you know, conversations are always going to happen right and, and traditional consumerism is going to be around longer than we will be but this idea of connected consumerism where the behavior takes place online and on mobile phones and on tablets what i share i'll give you a quick example in Google's zero moment of truth right if 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 You and I are, are tasting new champagne and we overhear somebody talk about a brand that we haven't heard about. The first thing we're going to probably do is Google it. Mm -hmm. And so that's how Google sort of refers to the zero, the Z mod. You know, that's that awareness, the stimulus. But in, in a connected society, right, let's just say that we're online and you want to know more about the champagne and you don't Google it. You go to your network and you say, hey, does any, has anybody tried this? Um, or you go to YouTube, which is what more and more people are doing because they're using YouTube as the new Google. They want to see a video about it rather than just text or web pages. And so the answer, you know, the question to ask is, well, what comes back in those moments of truth, right? Because with the zero moment of truth, you can manipulate that with SEO, SEM. But in the, in the in the modernized, connected society, where people are more and more relying on sort of, we call it the lazy web, their friends, to help them make decisions, uh, you don't control what comes back. And what comes back are shared experiences. So the idea is, and what the book introduces, is what if you could induce ultimate moments of truth mm-hmm. in your favor more and more and more across all of the popular networks mm-hmm. so that that's what starts coming back
0: all right well so I, I hear you and i'm thinking i'm a ceo of a company and i'm listening to you i'm like well all right uh that sounds great but you know how do you execute that
1: well yeah this <clears throat> go from a strategic conversation to a tactical conversation like with, in the snap of a finger so for example um, I talked to a company that uh, is in the pharmaceutical industry. One of their greatest challenges were recruiting. If you think about the connected employee, they do go to YouTube first. They don't go to LinkedIn. They don't go to your website and read all of your career opportunities and read about how great your company is. They go to YouTube and things like Glassdoor to see what people are saying about the company. And the salary. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that comes back often. Uh, especially for this company on YouTube, was how horrible the company is, both from employees uh, and then also just from the industry. It's a pharmaceutical company, so of course they're going to get trashed all over the place. But there there wasn't any content to counter that. So their idea was, well, what if we created a whole bunch of videos? and talked about how great we were, and we just flooded YouTube. Yeah, totally total one way. So the truth is that's not a bad idea. It probably worked for a little bit. But I introduced to them a, sort of a, a conundrum of sorts, and that was, what if it works? And people start saying, I, I'll work there. This sounds like a great place. And then they get inside the organization, and they realize that everything they had seen was true, meaning true that's a negative place to work. So... What we have here is a fundamental issue of an experience that needs to be addressed and needs to be fixed. So you actually have to go to the source. It's like a mechanic. You know, If you keep fixing an oil leak, there's something else behind the oil leak. And this is... So any CEO has to be challenged, and this is why data comes in. For example, say, you know, in, in, the, in the month of January, did you realize that you had 17,000 negative mentions of how crappy it is to work at this organization at every level? Mm-hmm. We got to fix that, and in order to fix that, we have to be, we have to make a big public announcement internally about how we're going to. We, we heard you; we're trying to do something about it. Here's what we're doing. Uh, tell us what you think, because the minute that you start to communicate that you recognize something, there's there's validation in that, and psychologically, people are very excited that you heard them and that they they can be part of the they could be part of the change. And this is the great healing. Right? This is this is a transformation. This comes down to. And I'm sorry, it's a long answer, but the the the, the popular television show under boss, uh, I talk about this all the time because it's everybody can nod their head to this. It's the same story all the time. A, a, a big CEO says, "I'm going to walk in the shoes of my customer and/or my employees." They usually fail across the board. They they see things that they've never seen before because they're too busy looking at spreadsheets and having meetings in, and in boardrooms. And the one thing that they get, well, actually two things that they get going through that experience. One is perspective. The second is a, an enriching sense of empathy. And at the end of every show, there's transformation. There's a lot of tears, there's motion. Uh, they, 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 they promise change, they, 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 and they, they do. Because and they always say the same thing too. I, I I forgot what it was like. You know. I
0: wonder. I wonder if there's a follow up that says how much they actually do change <laughs> up.
1: I think there should be a follow up, and they probably run into the same corporate red tape that sort of got, got them there. In and then, the first place. Yeah, absolutely, but the employees are are renewed Sorry. at that moment, right? Yeah. They get goosebumps, they're crying because they can say like, "There's there's validation. <laughs> yes, this is exactly what yeah, we've I'm been saying the all the time." Yeah, absolutely, and and I believe that. Once you can demonstrate that, maybe not every, every CEO is going to be able to go through that, but if you can demonstrate that these are the things that are taking place, and not everything has to be negative, by the way. We could find positive behavior and encourage more of that. The key is, though, that to introduce these types of strategies that get the right type of UMOTs or the ultimate moments of truth taking place so that they're defining the next zero moments of truth because they're happening anyway, and it's a, it's a tremendous influence loop. All
0: right, so I'm going to be um, a CEO you're talking to, and with your sensors up your bs radar or whatever you want to call it you see somebody who's not necessarily got that listening skill Mm -hmm. maybe has 30 years of experience and success in their job and you're telling them about all this stuff and this is monkey business to me how do you overcome that kind of uh, possible scenario
1: some of the work that we've done at altimeter group which just a quick plug is a research-based advisory firm is that we go into an organization and we'll have meetings with the top brass and then the brass that, well, second brass that reports up to them to understand what their business objectives are and then also start to understand what are their challenges, what are their observations, what are they seeing. And then we'll go to all of the disparate functions, the the critical organs of that organization and ask the same questions. I have never in the years that I've been doing this have had a, an, an instance where there wasn't a tremendous gap into where the company was trying to go, where the company is, and then all of the amazing nuances that come up that prevent it from getting towards where, where it wants to be. You show them the gap between what they say and what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's, a, and it's an incredibly um, powerful argument because a lot of times things surface that they might have suspected, um, maybe that they repressed. <laughs> but either way, uh, it's when it comes out to light, the thing that they cannot do is ignore it at this point, right? Because the way, the reason that it's gotten there to this point is because it was swept under the rug. But now I just I just did hundred interviews within your organization. I just I, I made it all come out. It's a, now people are asking, what, Why is Brian asking all these questions? What's going on? Or oh, is there a change? What's coming? And so now there's this interesting buzz within the organization. So you can't you've got to go. you you've got to go now.
0: So um, I,
1: one of the things that I, I I frequently write about and think
0: about is the differences between the different messages that one gives out as a CEO. So I I, I characterize three big ones. The first is to shareholders. The second one is the commercial message to clients and potential clients. And the third one is employee brand uh-huh. to the employees or future employees. And when it goes, when it comes to the discourse between the employees and the shareholder one, it's very hard to have them be aligned because you're always going to market your performance. Oh, it's not as bad as that. We, we missed it by a point, but we're going to make it better because we're going to cut 500 heads. You go to the employee, turn around, it's the best place to work. So I, I, I look at, at those three pillars of conversation and communication, and mm-hmm. see how they oftentimes are disassociated. Do you ever have that kind of a conversation?
1: Absolutely. And you have to understand that yeah. all of all of the things that we're talking about right now, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your point of view, <laughs> takes into account shareholder value uh, uh, without losing perspective of employee or customer value. The shareholder value is important because essentially all they want to know at the end of the day is how are you increasing my investment? So the idea is that making the right types of decision based on business goals and priorities, but then also based on internal challenges that are preventing you from achieving those only accelerate your objectives, right? And the realization of those objectives, which in turn should deliver greater shareholder value. Sounds commonsensical. Mm-hmm. But the challenge isn't is is, is, is isn't the process. The challenge are the, the politics and the emotions involved and, and, and everybody's rootedness and the idea that if we go there, we're essentially opening the door to change and transformation. And those are unknowns. And those are not things that I can put into a spreadsheet and therefore I can't measure or predict it. and, and so it's fear. It's fear. And it's just fear. Of change or it's just the unknown, maybe, or the uncertainty of what that means. So in in the new book, I actually talk about uh, Joseph Campbell's um, Hero of a Thousand Faces, and I, I bring to light the idea of the hero's journey. And I talk about how, uh, if, if, you, if you look at the hero's journey, which is basically every myth, you know, mythical character, they all seem to follow the same path. At the end of the book, I talk about how to take away the fear and uncertainty of transformation and I sort of reimagine if you will the hero's journey uh, in a way where the reader becomes the hero and here are the things that you're going to do and the things that you're going to encounter and the ways that you're going to beat it to realize the change that you're trying to be. What was that? It was a Gandhi's quote I think, right? Be be the change. Be the change you want to see and that to me, is not just for any anybody who's who loves to find emotional or, or inspirational quotes, or uh, it, it, that that's a powerful statement, right? So, on that topic,
0: when you are uh, with uh, C suite folks, how important for you do you believe is it that they should actually be in social, using their mobile, getting geolocal, or is that something that they can intellectualize without having to get in their their hands dirty?
1: <laughs> it's uh, I don't know. I think about, I think about when I'm in Europe and I watch uh, crowds in, in a bar. Everybody's watching the football game and everybody has an opinion about what should have been done. And everybody's a coach all of a sudden. And, and I, I, I wonder if how many of those people have ever played football in their life. Um, everybody seems to have an opinion, but not a lot of people seem to have experience. I, I think that. At some point, you have to touch it. You have to let it touch you. Otherwise, it's just foreign to you. But before I further answer the question, I I want to make a point very clear. I don't want anybody listening to this to think about technology you can't make an argument through technology to a, to somebody who doesn't understand any of this all you the best you can do is document transformation and 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 translate that i call it the human algorithm take data and make a story out of it a story that's compelling to the business where the business is trying to go and the story has to say x percent of our customers are doing this over time x percent of customers are moving in this direction we are not in this direction right now therefore in order to capitalize on that these are the things that we need to think about and do in order to blah 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 blah, blah right now you're starting to talk shareholders value business value executive decisions and there's certain things that you have to do in order to deliver employee value and customer value along the way but those are the things that you can kind of sneak in under the uh, the proposed bill that you're you're trying to bring into government and there it's 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 a very smart play because then they don't have to pick up their iPhone or, or go buy an iPhone because they probably have Blackberries. sorry, uh, and think about, you know, do I need to be on Facebook? Do I need to tweet? Maybe not. Maybe you don't unless you have something to say and because you believe in the platform. But that's a different job, right? That's somebody else within the organization who needs to profess the power of all of these things. But that's a technology discussion. More importantly, we have to talk about, Values, purpose, business objectives—kind of think about why we're in this business in the first place, and if it can't all just be driven by shareholder value. There's got to be. Look, I'll tell you, Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos, is often celebrated for his notion of delivering happiness and improving customer service and creating an incredibly high um, percentage of employees who have a great retention rate. to a special place to work. So give him all of those marks. But he he said that, and he's researched this, none of those things were whimsical. Those were all well-researched decisions based on the performance of companies that did similar things. Mm-hmm. And his line, uh, when we were having a, a, a late night evening of, of, of great wine, uh, he said, you know, I've studied this, and the numbers show that any business that aspires to a higher purpose will always outperform any business that focuses on the bottom line. And he, I don't know all of the numbers off the top of my head, but it was, it was a profound argument, and it's true. And that, to me, means that if there isn't a higher purpose, mm-hmm. if there isn't some sense of aspiration or direction or mm-hmm. vision, right, then what do you want employees to follow? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you want customers to align with? Absolutely. And the best brands in the world I think, have created that type of ecosystem mm-hmm. or that type of embrace, if you will, that people want to be part of it. And the natural byproduct of that is shareholder value. And the last thing I'll say on this is that if you increase that value within an ecosystem, you can increase margins, charge more for things, mm-hmm. uh, and keep people happy and longer in terms of lifetime value over time because they want to be there. And that's a, that's a powerful argument.
0: All right. So – Taking that same thought in that same vein, um, that I, it's hard not for me to think of a company with ends in an A and then an E <laughs> uh, and whose CEO is dead. When people read the jobs biography, um, I, I'm thinking uh, there's a, a lot of curiosity, there's a lot of awe, and CEOs who have picked it up may be doing it on the sly. My question for you is. How do you see CEOs taking away kernels from that book? I, you know, oh, I do that. Or, you know, that's not me. I'm not like that. I'm not one of those kind of people. How how do you, do you you see, have you had any conversations or how do you think about CEOs reading that book?
1: I think <laughs> first of all that's there's no reading that book that is that is almost like a college course uh, a four year course in of itself i think what is it like 9000 pages long uh, i think some ceos read look read it looking for that those nuggets and i think other ceos don't bother with it because they feel like they're already the great leader nobody wants to say that they're not mm-hmm. i will tell you this though i i don't and I'll, and I'll answer your question more specifically, but let me tell you what I hear most often about Steve Jobs with executives. There was only one Steve Jobs, uh, and that Steve Jobs never looked at customers to make decisions. That Steve Jobs m- was ruthless in his intentions and his, in his strategies to do what he wanted to do. And his mission. And his mission. But he had a mission. You know, And that's the part that a lot of people miss. Uh, and then I also hear in the same sentence of Steve Jobs is the Henry Ford quote, where mm-hmm. if I would have asked customers what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. horse. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, <but> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a couple things on that. One is that Apple actually has you in their terms of conditions. It's hidden in there, but it says that we're going to take your customer feedback and we're going to take your customer behavior and we're going to actually use that to make better products. It just says that. <laughs> so that's, number one, important because that means that they're, they're paying attention. Uh, and then two, Henry Ford never said that. <laughs> I uh, I did a lot of research, and and there are a lot of people who have researched this as well. And, and, and one individual whose name I can't remember actually worked with the Henry Ford Museum. They can't actually find a source for this at all. But there is a source in Dale Carnegie's book about how to win friends and influence people that Henry Ford basically says, You know, I'll paraphrase, is that... The best thing you can do is get perspective. And the way to do that is to pay attention to what your customers are saying and doing. Not not what they're demanding, but what they're saying and doing in order to lead, to lead those experiences, right? And so that to me is important. And in Steve Jobs' book, what, what you can walk away with and what you should walk away with is that there was a mission. And his mission was to change the way people used technology so that technology became sort of a seamless extension of humanity that that it was part of your life that it's part of your lifestyle and in order to do that he had to upset a lot of industries and but that was his mission he was relentless about it the second thing that he that you walk away with the book is that you know not only do you need a mission and a purpose but that you have to recognize that there's a ton of noise out there and that in order to mean something you have to rise above the noise in order to rise above the noise you have to challenge convention and the way to challenge convention is to make better products or ecosystems number 1 but number 2 is find a way to reach people based on the things that are going to touch them based on the challenges that they're feeling based and that's you know at the end of the day that's what inspired him over and over and over again same with Henry Ford and the same with anybody who's a great a great thinker a great innovator they're just trying to do the right thing trying to do a, things in a better way trying to to take pains and convert them into 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 joy and when you start making decisions in that way the, the regardless of whether or not you read the Steve Jobs book i mean cuz there's a lot of things that he did that i that i think would maybe upset people surely but there should be some sort of aspiration to do things better than you do today or maybe differently than you do today in order to be around a little bit longer
0: mm. well i think um, i'm going to ponder heavily about how I think, uh, and I'm going to follow on what you're saying about how uh, to read that book and take away the right arguments. The the one uh, thought that I have is is this notion of empathy and how important empathy is and yet, if if you want to talk about making products that are best for human experience, you would imagine that empathy should be in there, but that's not his strongest suit.
1: (laughs) I don't know that he would ever admit to having empathy. I, I don't know Steve Jobs, but I, I do admire him. Uh, I think that he was certainly inspired by the things that he saw and then tied to the Im- imagination that he had of the things that could be. Mm-hmm. Right. So when he went to Xerox and he saw the mouse and the first uh, graphical UI, a lot of similarities into what ended up becoming uh, oh, right. used at Apple. But if you have to, if you think about what computing was like back in that day. Mm-hmm. It was really a painful experience. I, I remember having, as a as a young as a young adult, having to learn how to program, and having to, to pass Pascal, Fortran, Basic, all of these things, just so that I could make my own computing experience better. And I and I think back to him, uh, my 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 mother, my father, my sisters' use of computers. All these things I had to do in order to make their life a little bit better. And what he all he'd really did was say, "This this is not. If computing's going to be the future." It can't be like this. It's just got to be simpler and more elegant, and stylish. Well, uh, hopefully, uh, a lot of other businesses will take away from that. So,
0: Brian, I know the time is is uh, of the essence. Uh, two things: what's the future? When is it coming out, and how can people get it? And two, how can people uh, track you, follow you?
1: Well, I. You can follow me at uh, bryansoulis.com. That's a good hub to start. That's where I share all of my thoughts and experiences. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian Solis or Facebook. Whatever you choose, I'm probably there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the future of business comes out uh, in 2013, early 2013? They can find it anywhere. Uh, and I will say this about the book. I practice what I preach. So if the idea of an experience is so important, I wrote a book. But I also brought in some very nice surprises and some nice folks, uh, folks that I, I, I hope you admire as, as much as I do, to create an experience within that book that is both visual uh, as much as it is intellectual uh, and, and, and also creative and imaginative. It's a very fun experience from the, the cover to the back cover, uh, and I hope you enjoy it, uh, get, get the lessons, but also the, the experience that I think will, will keep you smiling and, and inspired when you, when you finally finish the book.
0: Sounds enticing. Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Great to have you. Looking forward to seeing you. Uh, you're doing a speech tomorrow one on a Monday at uh, Hotel Napoleon's. Look forward to hanging out with you some more.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Major. I enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue radio show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter. If you like the show, please don't forget to click the handy Facebook Like button or tweet it out. And if you speak French, you can find my other French language interviews on minterdial.fr. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails.